Deshaun Watson. I have a hard time seeing him on the field this year. And and again, I have no special inside information. Just my thoughts with the patterns that we keep talking about and the volume. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, Andrew Brandt. We are produced by one Brian Neal, musical producer you hear of my son, Sam Brandt, with the music under us. We are presented, as always, by DraftKings. Special guest today is someone I've known since 2013 when we were together at something called the MMQB, started by Peter King. He had a little band he put together. We were initial members of that band. I want to talk about Deshaun Watson, as I have on this podcast a lot. You've heard my comments. You've heard me say the Browns sold their soul. I've been very upfront about them. And then this week, last week, excuse me, an article from New York Times came out, written by my friend Jenny Brentris, who's going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about where this should go with Deshaun Watson. As we sit here now, the end of June, with potential discipline coming up soon. So without further ado, I welcome my friend, my former colleague, now New York Times big time, Jenny Brentris. Hey, Jenny. Great to be on, Andrew. Thanks for having me. We were the first members of that band. That's right. Yeah. uh, Me and Gary Gramling, I think, are the only ones left. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great group, though. I was fortunate to be part of the team. Yeah, it was really nice where Peter put together people he thought would really bring a unique perspective to football-centric website, and um, hopefully we did that. And I still enjoy writing for it, and you're doing great work over the times. How's that transition been? Yeah, no, it's it's been a great opportunity. It's a, it's a really welcoming staff. Um, it's a tremendous place to work in terms of, you know, the focus on enterprise and investigative journalism. Um, so I, I love my time at Sports Illustrated, particularly, you know, all the great coworkers that I worked with, including yourself. Nice. Um, so, you know, it was tough to leave, but a new challenge. Um, and I, you know, it's always Starting a new job, it's just like changing a team for a player, right? You have to settle in, you know, earn trust, get to know people. Um, but um, I'm really enjoying it so far. Yeah, you're doing great work as always, as I say. And I, I tried to reach you last week right when your story came out. I know things were crazy in your world. Everyone was trying to get your thoughts. Um, so I think everyone knows sort of where we've been with Deshaun Watson. I guess where I want to start is... This is someone who is now the face of the Cleveland Browns. And for there's no other way around it. Uh, they've made him their quarterback. They've made him the highest paid player in the league. They've made him the most guaranteed contract in the league. They have put their franchise on their back around Deshaun Watson. Based on your reporting, <laughs> what is your initial reaction when I say that? Yeah, I mean, they place a tremendous amount of trust in him, a tremendous financial commitment, um, tremendous, you know, just uh, this is the direction that we're going. I mean, they've been building their team over the last few years, um, rebuilding it, getting back to the playoffs. um, And they made a really big decision that we're going to move on from our former number one overall pick and that they want Deshaun Watson to be their franchise quarterback moving forward. And, you know, they did all of that right after the criminal cases concluded so that there were no criminal charges issued um, in the cases considered against him. But at that time, there were still 22 civil lawsuits pending. And after the criminal cases wrapped up, the discovery in the civil suits really ramped up. And I think a lot of information has come to light, certainly 
I pulled from a lot of that source material, depositions under oath that Watson gave, um, different materials gathered. And of course, my own reporting and, and speaking to women who have worked with him directly was a, a foundational part of the article. But I think additionally, the information that's come to light in the civil suits has been really important. Um, and now we've seen two more lawsuits filed. Uh, the lawyer representing the plaintiffs uh, says there will be a few more, although we haven't seen those yet. And so I do think it's an important question to be asking at this juncture. What did Deshaun Watson tell them? How honest was he with the Browns? Um, and is there anything that's come out recently that has surprised them? And I don't know the answer to that. Um, they say they did due diligence, although they have not given a lot of specifics on that. We know that they didn't speak to any of the women suing him. Um, we know that you know they haven't sought out firsthand accounts. And that's where I think there's a real flaw in your vetting process. Because for me, everything, my perspective on the case was really shaped by speaking directly to these women ever since I spoke to the first woman that, that I was in touch with who had been in a massage room with Deshaun Watson in you know, I spoke with her in March 2021. I think that has really helped me understand some of the power dynamics at place, the pattern of behavior that these women are alleging, um, a pattern of behavior that seems to escalate over time. And I think if you're not seeking out those accounts directly, I think you're missing a key part of um, understanding this whole uh, situation. You talked about pattern of behavior, and I think that's really emanates from your reporting a year ago and now. It just seems like there's obviously a pattern, obviously there for more than massage, obviously having women do things in his private areas that just seems over and over again. So I guess my question about the Browns is if they would somehow say, oh, this is new, it's the same pattern. Like this is not new behavior. It's just more of it. Do you see it the same way? Yeah, I think you know, perhaps, well, I, I don't want to, you know, speak to how they made their determination because sure. I don't have great insight into that, you know, and I don't think they provided great insight into that publicly. Um, but yes, I mean, it is more accounts, but what I would say is every account matters. You know, I think when there are such, when there's such a large volume, there's a tendency to say, well, it's 23 and 24. They're just like the rest, but that's every, that's two more people who are affected. You know, I've spoken with additional people who aren't filing lawsuits, who were affected. And so I think every person's account matters, every experience matters. And I think um, an important piece of this is the number of people who were affected. Um, and through our reporting, you know, I was able to confirm that he had appointments with 66 different women, mm -hmm. at least 66 um, during a 17 month period. Again, not all of those women have gone to police or filed civil complaints. Some of those women have spoken up to support him, but that is a lot of people that he interacted with. Um, and, um, you know, above and beyond what we hear is, you know, expected for NFL players who generally have a small circle of people yeah. that they trust. And so um, I do think as the scope continues to grow, um, I agree with you in that 22 was significant enough. Um, but I also don't want to say that the 23rd and 24th, you know, don't matter because, you know, they really do. They do indeed. And what's interesting is that you just mentioned, I mean, I can speak having been around a team for 10 years. You had we had massage therapists that worked on players. They were not part of the team, but they were recommended by the team. 
And certainly they were full, uh, their schedules were full of players that trusted them. And then as you get into bigger names and bigger incomes, they have their own or, or they have someone they share with only one or two other clients. It just seems so odd for Deshaun Watson to be seeking out massage on Instagram. And, and I think your reporting showed that some of these women weren't even licensed massage therapists. Is that correct? Right. That's correct. Um, and they state that a lot of them in their lawsuits, um, some of them were in school to be licensed, hadn't finished yet. Some were estheticians, um, you know, other cosmetology services, massage wasn't their main focus or priority. Um, some were surprised when he asked for a massage appointment because that was not their specialty. Um, and in a portion of the deposition that we included in the article, um, the attorney for the plaintiffs asks him, you know, did you care about their experience or did you ask their experience level? Um, and he said that wasn't his priority. So that really does open up a lot of other questions. No. Like you said, Andrew, you know, the Texans, the team he was with at the time, of course, they had a, a massage therapy group contracted with the team. Now, it's not abnormal for players to go outside of that. You know, sure. sometimes you want... Um, a longer session that can be um, then can be provided at the team facility. Uh, sometimes you want to do it at a different time, you know, at the end of your day, you know, on an off day. Um, and I have spoken to several players who have their own people that they see away from the team, but generally it's a small circle um, and you build up trust with those people because your physical ability and, you know, keeping your body in shape to play is, is vital to your livelihood. And so it's, it's really important that you have, highly trained people working on you. And so usually that's uh, a small number and especially for a star quarterback, right? You know, you would have the ability to have a, a regular therapist that you see and that is available whenever you need appointments. You mentioned Houston. I'm going to ask about that now. Of course, they're probably thinking throughout up until lately that they've removed the problem and it's now Cleveland's issue, but here they are back in maybe through your reporting, maybe through Tony Busby represents the players, I'm sorry, represents the women, bringing them as a defendant back into these lawsuits as well. So I, I, without me saying, and I'll let you tell exactly where you saw the Houston Texans in all of this in his arrangement of massages. Yeah. And I think when covering this story, one element that I thought was important is the people, the structures and that could have allowed this alleged behavior to occur. Um, and so the team kind of came up as one of those entities. And again, the extent to which they were aware of exactly what he was doing, I mean, they may not have had specific awareness. I think that's yet to be determined of exactly what they knew. However, they offered some of the resources and structures in place that allowed him to pursue these alleged behaviors. Um, among them, uh, in 2020, in November 2020, a woman who had massaged Deshaun Watson, um, she would later become one of the plaintiffs. She is the 23rd plaintiff, but she posted about him on social media, um, some of their exchanges, including his phone number and his cash app. Um, and she said, I, I could really expose you. Um, mm -hmm. And after that point, uh, Watson showed these messages to the team security director uh, and the team security director provided him with a non-disclosure agreement. Watson said under oath that this was, he found this in his locker and that he began taking it to massage appointments. Uh, he said he only used it for massages because he has lawyers and managers that handle other things. Um, and he used this in some cases to reassure women, you know, one woman 
didn't want to meet him at a hotel. She didn't think that would be professional to assure her that the appointment was professional. He said he would be bringing an NDA, which I'm not quite sure how a document meant to protect him should reassure her, but that was the message that he sent her. Um, and the team also arranged for him to have a membership at the Houstonian hotel and club. It's um, there's a fitness club that he used, you know, steam rooms uh, while the team facility was closed restaurants, but there's also a hotel on the property um, and he would book hotel rooms there and set up massage appointments. Watson said under oath that the team didn't know that he knows of, that he was setting up massage appointments in these hotel rooms. But one of the women who met him at the Houstonian for a massage um, said that she was told the room was in the name of the team's head trainer. So there was, that's another way I, I, you know, in which team resources or his access to these things sort of allowed him to engage in these behaviors that the women are alleging. Yeah. The Houstonian and the Houston Texans arranging that, I guess my, my antenna went up, Jenny, when I heard it as my background with salary cap management, if arranged meant paid for, that could incur some sanction on the salary cap side. Knowing the salary cap as I do, it's supposed to be team contract only and not supposed to be outside the contract. I'm going to get back to Jenny in a minute. First, a word from our sponsor, AG. Athletic Greens is something I take every day. I just pour a scoop into water, and I've got my greens for the day. I eat healthy. You guys know me. I'm into fitness. I'm into eating right, but sometimes I don't get all my greens. So I can always count on it by just pouring a scoop into water every morning. It's Athletic Greens. It tastes good. You get better sleep. You get better recovery. Costs less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health. It's cheaper than any other habit. It's cheaper than all those supplements that people take. And it's got five-star reviews. It's endorsed by athletes, endorsed by professionals. I can't recommend it enough. Athletic Greens, to make it easy, it's going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D. Five free travel packs come with that. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash BOS, business of sports, BOS. Again, athleticgreens.com slash BOS. Tell them I sent you. Take ownership over your health. Take the ultimate daily nutritional insurance, AG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Back to Jenny. I think that what's going on with the 66 women got a lot of attention. And as you said, everyone matters. Of course they do. That number just seems staggering over a period of time. Can you say exactly what that time period was? Right. So it was from the fall of 2019 to the spring of 2021. Um, and that's, you know, the period of time leading up to when the first lawsuit was filed. And it, it spans most of the lawsuits. Um, it starts a little bit earlier because he started seeing um, uh, different therapists, you know, in, in the fall of 2019. And as far as you know, there was nothing after that going into the 2021 season in Houston? Yeah, so I looked at the time frame leading up to um, 
to when the first lawsuits were filed. So um, that was kind of the the range that I I examined, you know, including uh, obviously the lawsuits, the criminal complaints, um, people that were, um, you know, uh, revealed through the civil investigation uh, by the plaintiffs and then people that I was in touch with directly. That was kind of how the dates fell. Um, and I think also, you know, I think that's an important period of time because it was before the first allegations were public um, and, you know, before potentially there would be reasons to change how you approach this. And what do you make of uh, the, the Rusty Harden? I thought it was really interesting what you reported about uh, Deshaun's lawyer, Rusty Harden. He's a well-known, famous lawyer who, when you mentioned those criminal complaints that were both uh, did not result in charges, um, him having conversations with Harris County uh, District Attorney and sort of friendly, but uh, I, I'll let you talk about how many times. And mm -hmm. I guess I'll preface it by saying I understand this in the world of law where relationships matter and certainly why Rusty Harden was hired were his relationships with the Houston legal system. But talk about that if you would. Yeah. So I think you're exactly right. That's why you hire a Rusty Harden. I mean, he carries a lot of power and influence in the criminal justice community in Houston. Uh, he was a former prosecutor himself. You know, I, I thought as I was covering the story this spring, I covered the grand jury decisions. And afterward, I thought, let me just see what the communication was like with both sides. You know, I, I put in a public records request for communications with the defense team and also the plaintiff's attorneys um, that only returned uh, one communication with the plaintiff's attorneys. Um, and, you know, they're, they're civil attorneys. So they're representing them in the civil cases, although they were the primary access point for um, the women who, um, well, eight of the 10 criminal complainants okay. also had filed lawsuits. Um, but um, what the records request also showed was a, a regular dialogue between Hardin and Jonna Stallings, who was the sex crimes prosecutor who would present the case to the grand jury. Um, they met in person one time at Rusty Hardin's office, um, regular phone calls and texts, uh, including the week of the grand jury. Um, she informed Hardin about the second grand jury in Brazoria. Um, and from those communications, it was clear that Hardin had submitted what's generally referred to as a grand jury packet, um, information for the prosecutor to present to the grand jury on behalf of Watson. Um, and again, you know, there can be communication. There's certainly nothing saying that there can't be. Um, I think with grand jury packets, I don't think that that is super common according to experts that I've spoken with. That, that's not to say it doesn't happen. It does, but it's something that generally happens with high profile cases or, you know, clients who can afford an attorney that can devote a lot of uh, time and resources to this, which Hardin's office has certainly done. And so I think it's a little bit of a window into the difference um, when a high profile client is being considered for criminal charges. Um, and also because the grand jury process is behind closed doors and is so secret, um, you know, it's also a window into what the grand jury considered. You know, I think, again, like I said, like you said, these relationships matter. It does, I don't know what the word is. It does seem a little icky, <laughs> I guess that's a bad word, that Rusty Harden would have this influence. And I kind of felt when there were no criminal charges in those two grand juries, that there was some, this is stating too much, this is overstating it, but a little bit of a Rick victory lap. Um, 
mm-hmm. from the Harden and maybe even the Watson camp. And of course, now we have this, as we keep talking about this increasing number of civil lawsuits in this behavior that just seems patterns and patterns. I mean, does this, is this word too strong, Jenny? Would you describe his behavior throughout all this as predatory? Well, it's not my role to make a judgment on things, um, to offer opinions. Um, I'm just trying to follow the facts. And I do think there's a strong fact pattern across the women who have come forward. I do think their accounts follow a similar fact pattern. Um, I think they support each other's accounts. Um, And I think there is corroborating information. You know, I, I think that's also been part of what has been lost in the conversation is that it's not just what the women are saying. And, uh, you know, certainly in, in some cases there isn't, you know, there's often not text message indications of, of what happened in a room. Uh, I think that's often rare in cases of sexual right. violence. Um, but there are some things such as Ashley Solis, um, Watson apologized to her via text immediately after the, her appointment. The next day, one of her colleagues reached out to a veteran massage therapist uh, for help, saying that her her colleague, Ashley, was solicited in a session. Um, You know, you have uh, the woman whose case was considered in Brazoria County. Um, Those were some of the messages that we um, included in our New York Times report, sort of the tendons or the the approaches that he used to book with her. You know, don't you have anything right now? I'm just trying to support black businesses. you know, and then after the fact, she cancels the next appointment and subsequently blocks his number. So I do think there are um, those things. And the other thing I would say is, you know, in his depositions, in Watson's depositions, um, for those two cases that I just mentioned, Ashley Solis and um, the woman in Brazoria, uh, he corroborates their entire accounts up to what they say was the assaultive behavior. So there isn't any dispute about where they were, about the messages that were sent. All of those things he acknowledges are true. Um, he just says up until the point in which there were assaults of behaviors that he did not engage in those. Um, and so I do think um, that sort of points to um, the strength of their accounts, that yeah. there isn't anything that he's disputing up until that point. Um, so I think that's an important thing for people to consider as well. I think that has not been stressed enough. I appreciate you stressing that. And as we spin it forward in our final remaining minutes, we talk about what's going to happen on the NFL level. We just have talked a lot about no criminal charges. And I think people miss something on that with the NFL. That's not a big deal with the NFL. We've seen that with Ben Roethlisberger. We've seen that with Ezekiel Elliott. We've seen that Ray Rice got an indefinite suspension without criminal charges. So that shouldn't be an issue. Are you surprised that we haven't seen Commissioner Exemplist do you think that there will definitely be discipline coming or do you think it'll wait to see if lawsuit 27, 28, 29, 30, as we get to the season, what are your, I have some thoughts, but I wanted to hear what you think. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the first thing I would say is I don't have a ton of insight into exactly where the investigation goes for from here or what will happen. You know, It sounded like the NFL was wrapping things up. Usually when the person is interviewed, that is the final step in the process. And based on Roger Goodell's comments at the owners meetings in May, it seemed as though, okay, this investigation is being wrapped up. It's going to be handed over to the person who determines discipline. And we should hear something pretty soon. 
And so I think that was the expectation. But then the two new lawsuits were filed. You know, now Busby says a few more are on the way. And so I think the question now is, do they interview those women? Does that change the timeline? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure what the, what, what the ultimate determination on the NFL's part will be. Um, discovery in the cases is still open. It's open through the end of the month, but I would imagine that, um, once they decide for sure, none of these cases will be tried at the end of July, which is almost a certainty at this point that the discovery window may then be extended. But, um, yeah, so it seemed like we were on the verge of discipline, um, but recent developments, it's possible that they've um, thrown a wrinkle in that. And I know you don't have any special insights. I guess I'm asking as a colleague and, and an observer, close, close observer of the NFL, obviously are trying to appeal to women. We've seen what's happened with Major League Baseball and Trevor Bauer. Mm-hmm. We've seen the NFL embrace you know, breast cancer initiatives, et cetera. I have a hard time seeing them on the field this year. And, and again, I have no special inside information, just my thoughts with the patterns that we keep talking about and the volume. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts? You know, I, I think the volume is um, pretty overwhelming. You know, yeah. it, it's uh, an incredibly large number of women who have come forward. Um, I don't think it's easy to come forward. You know, if you file a lawsuit, your name is out there. Um, it's not easy to do that. I don't think it's easy to go to police. Uh, I think there's plenty of other women. Actually, I know there are other women because I've spoken to them who didn't want to file a lawsuit for privacy reasons or it would just be too much, right? So um, I think each of their accounts matter. um, And I think the NFL has a lot of information to consider. Um, And there really isn't, I guess what I would say is there really isn't a corollary to the situation. You know, you mentioned Roethlisberger and I think that's relevant in there being discipline without criminal charges, but there isn't a corollary in just in terms of the number of women who have come forward in this case. And finally, will you be doing more reporting? Are you still going to be looking into this and can we expect more from, from your byline? Yeah. So, you know, since I started covering this story last March, I've just tried to keep at it to see what facts I could find out, corroborate those facts, put them out to the public. I mean, that has always been my North Star is to learn as much as I could, um, independent of spin, you know, to speak directly to the women, to see the information that they have um, and to share it. And um, I think there's definitely still more reporting to be done. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to stay on the story, Andrew. We'll look forward to it. You've done great work and continue to do so. And great to see you, my friend. Thanks for joining me on the Business of Sports. Thanks, Andrew. I hope you enjoyed that illuminating and interesting conversation with Jenny. There's so much, so much that she's brought out about this disturbing case with Deshaun Watson, who's now become the face of the Browns and one of the faces of the league. I've been not hiding my disdain about it, and this only brings out more. But I wanted you all to hear from the source, uh, New York Times, Jenny Branches, my former colleague. thought it was good stuff. Newsletter every week, I talk about these kind of things, andrew-brandt.com. I have a sports business league where I do daily intros about this as well as weekly meetings, andrew-brandt.com slash SBL. Twitter, Andrew Brandt. Instagram, where I do reels, Andrew Brandt too. Hope you like the podcast. Give us a ranking if you would, and please share the podcast with a friend if you do. 
Thanks to Brian Neal. Thanks to Sam Brand, our musical producer. Thanks to you for listening. I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.